Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, whip out a pen, and we'll get started. Um, that, just to reiterate, and I don't want to read over all the announcements, but the uh, prayer, week of prayer and fasting is we will gather together every night here. And uh, somebody asked me last week, or the week before last, what, what is fasting? What do you consider fasting? I said, you take it up with the Lord. You, know, you take it up with the Lord. And, you know, some people are on medication. They can't fast from food. But listen, you just give it up to the Lord. And, you know, uh, we want to give up, you know, whatever it is that the Lord would have us. For many of us, it will be food. We'll be fasting that week. And we want to see people come to Jesus. I want to see your lost and my lost family coming to Jesus. I want to see God moving in our midst, um, you know, with all of the direction the church is going. And just I just want to see these things happen. And I want to call upon God. It start, starts tonight, not the prayer and fasting, but prayer tonight. And we would call upon God. And then every, every week, every night that week of the 15th up to Friday, we will have a specific thing that we're praying for. But that will be what we start off with. And we'll allow uh, prayer to be for anything and everything. So listen, I know prayer is a labor. It's the least attended meeting in the church. But it's the most powerful meeting. And it's the one where I want to encourage you that you may be, uh, you know, for prayer, you may say, well, I, I don't really pray in front of others. I don't have, you know, it just bothers me. I'm not that good at it. Listen, we are all learning to pray together. We all have to learn to pray together. And unless we do this together, we'll never do it and we'll miss out on the power of God. There's an announcement. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, turn in them to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And uh, the ushers will bring you a Bible. Now, listen, you're going to have to turn into two places. First Thessalonians, you're going to keep a finger there. And then you're going to turn over to Acts chapter 17, and you're going to keep a finger there. So both places we're going to look at uh, this morning because we're looking at the church of Thessalonica. We want to see what's happened at that church. We want to see what's going on, the atmosphere, the things that are taking place there. And really how that bothers us. Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> so if you're there and you're in First uh, Thessalonians, that's where we're going to read this morning our text. So let's stand together again. It's on page 1038. If you have the inspired Bible. Just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> so First Thessalonians, people are still looking for it. They're not catching a word I'm saying yet. Which is good. That's very good. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing this, and he says in verse 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for, uh, for you all, making mention of you, in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And so, Lord, again, we just ask you, 
Lord, make your word alive to us. It is alive. Just speak to us, I pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now I had you turn over. You're going to keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians, but turn to Acts 17. We'll get there in just a minute. But starting off this new, this new church, I want to give a little bit of history about it. And the, the, the reason why, I think all this is important, not, not to know why he's written this letter, why to, to this church. And thinking of the church in Thessalonica, it's an infant church, it's a young church. It's a church that, um, you know, Paul spent a little time there. It's young, but it's predominantly made up of, Gentile, of a Gentile population, of a bunch of pagan worshipers. I don't know how many of you were really devout in, your, in some type of faith um, that was outside of Christ. Maybe you were just a partier, a mess. He's taken this, this, this city that is made up of really predominantly pagan worship. And he started a church there, and now he's writing to them a short time later. And you think about this, he's, this is probably the earliest of his writings and it's just like in any letter that Paul has penned, it has a theme that normally runs through it. You know, you have First and Second Timothy, you have the pastoral epistles, or you have Romans and Galatians that'll deal with soteriology or how one comes to faith in Christ. The Corinthians was a letter that was a, uh, the theme of it was necessarily uh, speaking right to them about correction in the church. They had some errors that they, they needed to have ironed out. But here in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, the theme here is about prophecy. It's about prophecy. Paul is speaking to this church about the things that will transpire in the future as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's so important. He sees so early in the church, in this young church, in this infant church, the importance of teaching them concerning, and listen, no matter what's going on around them, and we'll see, no matter how bleak things look, no matter what's happening, he's going to deal with them with the emphasis being that, you know what, don't worry about how dark it is. Re just remember this. Jesus is coming. So the theme of it is. When you lose hope, what do you do? You remember Jesus is coming. And I want to just point this out to you. In about five places in every chapter of this letter, he writes this. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 he says, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the, the, the living and true God. That's what's happening in Thessalonica. And to wait for his son from heaven. So there, there's a thing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or 1 Thessalonians 2.19, he says, For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it, not even in the, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Chapter 3, he writes, And may the Lord make you increase and abound uh, in love to one another and to all, just as we did to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, speaking on the rapture, he says in verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The fifth chapter, verse 23, he says, Now may the God 
of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a young church, and it's so important for Paul to write to them about the end times, the things that are happening. Watch out. Just keep an eye on these things. And, 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 and he's writing about not only the second coming, as I mentioned, but the rapture of the church. And it's so important. He feels it's so important that this church, right then and there, knows this. And here's why. Because the church in Thessalonica, there were many things that were going on around them that were looking bleak. They were under persecution. They had uh, the world around them, the pagan religious system, even the religious system of the Jews wanted to come against the church and quench any ember of hope, any amount of faith or any ember of love that would ever exist that would help keep that church going. I mean, when times are tough, what do you do? You've got to have a hope. You've got to understand there's got to be something greater than what's going on in this world. And so that's what's happening in the church of Thessalonica is the, the uh, people around them that aren't saved they're looking at the church and they're going, well, we got to quench this, man. we got to put this out. And it, today is much the same. I think if you look out in the world today, you see that there isn't much hope. I was watching, uh, somebody had posted, or they didn't post, but they, um, the emoji, right, on our creation conference. And there was three of them that were the sad face, red. <clears throat> Maybe it wasn't sad, I don't know what emoji that is. Ticked off, I don't know. And I looked at their, their Facebook page and they're, they're, they're all not saved. I'll just put it like that. They're all not saved. But you see that. You see when, when this stuff out here, when you watch the news and you watch all this stuff on social media, you see the things. This stuff isn't going to work. And I don't mean you guys. I mean looking out there, the, the horizontal. It's just not working. There's no hope in it. I mean, it, you know, we, we get a president. We vote a president in. Things are looking like they might be okay, but then the whole world, the whole nation becomes divided. Or, you know, presidents in the, last, in the past, the same thing. You think, well, here's new hope. Oh, no, it's not really new hope. But it is, you know, all this is going to fail us. All this horizontal fails us. And you think about your own world that you're living in, the things that are going on in your life. When they begin to fail, when it looks bleak in your life, Paul says, look vertical. When horizontal, when the horizontal doesn't match up, look vertical. When you lose hope and everything that's going on around you, look up. And our understanding of how the end times will come about, the world, you know, it's important. We won't know the time or the hour. We're not going to know, oh, this is, uh, look, look, I mean, another 20 minutes, Jesus is going to come back. We don't know the time or the hour, but we do know the seasons. And the Bible tells us, uh, Jesus speaks about specifically, he says, just as in the days of Noah. This is in the days of Noah. God had to destroy the world at the, that time because it was so corrupt. They were men and women that were living lifestyles that were so contrary. So it was like a ravenous dog that he had to finally put this world to um, judgment. And then he wanted to uh, start again with Noah, the righteousness, the preacher. And so, you know, you think of everybody that was living for themselves, satisfying any and every desire that they might ever have, that they had to be put down. At any cost they're doing that. You look at the world today, as in the days of Noah. Look at what's happening today. Look at what's going on. I mean, it's like men and women aren't really men and women anymore. You don't even know who you're talking to. You know how to address them. And then if you address them, you might offend them. 
And so, you know, you look at these things, but Jesus said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Now, a little history, go to Acts 17, you're there. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase through this, but I want us to understand what's happening in the city. Verse 1, it says that Paul preached in a synagogue. Verse 2, it says that he reasoned with them from the Scripture. So he's in the, in the synagogue of the Jews. He opens up the Old Testament. The New Testament had not been written at that time, canonized. It wasn't there. So he's taking the Old Testament and he's showing them. The Old Testament points to Jesus, no doubt about it. Verse 3 gives us insight of what Paul is trying to get across to his listeners. Look at verse 3. He says, Luke writes, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I preached to you is the Christ. So he's making no doubt about it. You remember Paul was a Jew and now he's come to Christ. He is a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he's now explaining to them, demonstrating to them how important it is. Look, guys, I was so religious that I was messed up. And I, and I came to faith in Christ because of the grace of God that met me on that day when I was going to persecute more of the church. And I know that that grace of God saved me. And so his heart's desire is to see his own countrymen, Jews, come to faith in Christ, but also for the Gentiles because that's who he'll be called to. And you see that he says, this Jesus whom I preach to you, is the Christ. He's the one. Make no doubt about it. And this is what's happening in this pagan city, if you will. Even though the, the, he's in a synagogue, <coughs> excuse me, it's a pagan city with a lot of pagan things that take place there. So as the gospel is being presented to this Gentile city, many are coming to faith in Christ. Isn't that incredible? Some of you aren't old enough to remember this. Some of you were, I was a child. But remember the Jesus movement. And remembering when people were coming to faith in Christ, it, it, all the magazines, the newspapers, the, the news was out there, and they were like, man, this stuff is happening. This stuff is real. And I was just a child when it began, but then as it, I began to be a, you know, kind of like a teenager, it was really taken off. And those things were taking place. Men and women were coming to faith in Christ. So look in verse 4, because as the gospel is being presented to the city, many are coming to faith in Christ. It says in verse 4, and some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So you have, number one, you have the Jews. Some of the Jews for the, uh, from the synagogue were coming to faith in Christ. And also many of the pagan worshipers were coming to Jesus as well. Listen, when it's coming to Jesus, it's not asking him for a handout. When it's coming to Jesus, it's not asking him for, hey, can you help me with this? I'm a little behind this month. It's not, no, no, no. Their lives are being changed. They're being saved. And people were coming to Jesus. And when you came to Jesus, normally, just like the world today, listen, they don't really care if you come to Jesus. Don't mess with their world. Right? I mean, really, but until you start speaking something, you start speaking truth, then they're going to stand up and they're going to say, wait a second, now you're, you're encroaching a little bit. Now you're a hater because you speak the truth. Or anything like that. Well, back in the day, it was the same way that people were coming to faith in Christ. But, you know, at first, you know, people didn't really care. I mean, you're, you know, we're living a pagan lifestyle. Just don't interfere with my sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I'll just let me live my life and I'll be okay. And you go about doing your business. But the problem was this. Jesus Christ was changing lives. Jesus Christ was getting a hold of pagan worshipers, dopeheads, alcoholics, drunk addicts, pornography, all these people that were out there in the world, and he is 
changing them. And he, when you come to Christ, you just don't remain the same. You can't go back and live your life the way that you thought, well, I, the way I was living it the last 30 years. No, your life was going to be changed forevermore, the same way it is today. It's because we, you know, we interfere, we mess our own lives up coming to Christ in a sense because we come and we've been, I was telling my wife this, um, you know, 29 years I pampered my life. I didn't know what to do. I said, honey, I remember when we were sitting in our little rental home in Vancouver. Four months old in the Lord. The Lord had sent us up here in 1990. Four months old in the Lord. And we're looking at each other like, how are we going to work this out? We have irreconcilable differences. <laughs> we still do. But, but back then we did. And we look at each other and we say, the only one that can help us out is God. He's the only one. And we're young Christians getting on our knees. And I say, I wonder if the people that I, I share, you know, like in the men's groups and these leadership groups, I wonder if they get it. I mean, if they, I wonder if they really believe me that we had to get on our knees, cry out to God because he was our only hope. But it's true. When people get saved, like at Thessalonica, the same thing here is lives are changed. Lives are changed. The world as you knew it, B.C., will never be the same. Praise God. But those around you are going to be affected as well because they're going to see the difference in you. They're going to see the change in you. And that's what's happening at Thessalonica. People are coming to faith in Christ. It says here, a great number of the devout Greeks that come to Jesus. So those are pagan worshipers. They're devout. Devout means religious. They were devout in whatever they believed, whatever it was. You know, they, they may have believed in, in, in Hercules. Yeah, look at that guy. Really strong. I'm, he's my God today. I don't feel too strong, so he's my God, you know, and then whatever. My, they believed in it. By golly, they believed in it. And now they're coming to faith in Christ. There's no longer any of that. They're not at the taverns going, I believe in Hercules. One more shot for Hercules, you know. There's none of that. They're lifting their hands to Jesus, and they're going into the synagogues because there was no church at the time, or they're coming into the house churches, and they're just praising the Lord. Now listen again, it says, not a few of the leading women. Verse 4, these are many, it means many influential women in the city, had that, that women that had a great influence in the city were coming to Christ. It was incredible. Now imagine at the time the religious leaders of the city are being challenged because the pagan Greeks of that time, there's a large population of them, and they're, you know, they, they have with them all these forms of immorality, all of the... You know, like I said, I mentioned in the 60s, it was sex, drugs, and rock, rock and roll. But something had happened and people were getting saved. So the influential people uh, are, are starting to get offended by this. I think it's the same much today, right? People, they're devout in their areas of pagan worship. They're devout even in the Jewish uh, faith. They were leaving their places and headed to the church. Isn't that cool? People are leaving their place of worship. They're leaving. And you know what that means? It's a loss of business. It's a loss of business. There's no more people to buy drinks. There's no more people to hoot and holler up and say, one more for the gip, or whatever they do. Let's have another one. There's no more of that because people are really, their lives are being changed, so they're coming to faith in Christ. And not, not everybody's going to be keen over the idea of you coming to Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that. When I came to Jesus, my family laughed at me. Oh, here he is on another trip. They did. And he said, I wonder what he's going to do now. My brother knew it was real, but he was the only one saved in my family. I was the second one. So I come to faith in Christ, and my, my mom is looking at me, and my friends are looking at me and say, oh boy, he's got another crutch. I say, praise God for that crutch. I needed that crutch. I needed one to lift me up out of this world and give me life. But this is what it's all about. See, 
People were leaving for the right reason. They were leaving because they were hearing of the truth. If the world would settle down, literally, even our hearts in here, if we would settle down and we would analyze, just think about, why are we in such an uproar? If we would think about it, just for a minute, why is everything so crazy? If we would think about it, we might understand that there is truth and that God is still dispensing this truth today to say, you know what? It's not that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to come to heaven and living that way without him is not going to make it. And he loves you so much and he loves you enough to tell you the truth. People are hearing the truth and there's this big gulf, if you will, in the middle, this great divide of people that are now standing on the truth and it's getting more and more. It's getting more populated to stand up for truth. The people in Thessalonica are going, I don't know about that. You're an idiot now. You used to be my friend. I'm still your friend. I'm going to tell you the truth. No, I hate you. Now you get all this stuff going on. Listen, these people, just like you and I, are hearing the truth, some for the first time. And they, when I came out of this world, it was like I couldn't believe how buffooned I was, how fooled I was. For the first five years of my walk as a believer, I read nothing but the Bible. I didn't read another man's book. I didn't want, I didn't want to listen to another man. I just wanted the Bible, besides my pastor. I, I wanted to hear an anointed man of God teach me the Word of God. That's all I wanted. And so these guys aren't just leaving the synagogues or their pagan practices or worship houses. They're also leaving their family and friends. They're leaving them in a sense, not cutting them off, but they're saying, you know what, I, you know what, my sphere of influence is no longer you it's the bible it's jesus christ it's the power of the holy spirit and i'm not going to cut you off i'll still come to thanksgiving if you invite me but where i go jesus comes now you see i'm going to bring him with me and so you have these people not leaving just the synagogue but they're 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 being cut off from their family and friends because their family and friends want nothing to do with jesus what do you do some of them were leaving life as they knew it and stepping into faith to receive the truth for the first time and they were excited about it. Listen, to be set free. This whole world, look, at we're, we're trying to get people off drugs by giving them more drugs. It makes no sense. We tell them that alcohol is a problem in our, in our nation, but yet we open up alcohol stores, uh, liquor stores. They call alcohol a disease. But they call it, they, they say, you know, well, let's open up this other disease center. It's just amazing to see the stupidity, forgive me, what it is, when people, it's common sense, but there's a truth out there. And I'm not saying that these things can't have a grip on us, drugs and alcohol. I was one of them. I was one that drugs and alcohol had a grip on, but Jesus set me free. And he'll do that for you as well. Listen, all this is taking place and what, what they or what we'll see is that in the midst of our lives being changed for Christ, just like in the church of Thessalonica, just like your life and my life, when our lives are being changed for Christ, there's going to be something come up against us, and it's called persecution. It's opposition to the gospel. You see, Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, he, said, he would say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes... For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is as written, the just shall live by faith. So he says, listen, I'm not ashamed of this. I've come to it. It saved me. The gospel saved me. And I have life now. 
And in the midst of whether you're in Thessalonica or Cowlitz County, there's a great opposition that's going to come against you and I, just as it did in the church in Thessalonica of the day. Now, listen, how this might minister to us today, and I want to share this with you before we get into our study in Thessalonians. What's interesting is the devil will try any way to get you to turn from your faith. Do you know that? He will try in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't matter. I mean, he will try to get you, if he can, so deep into your emotional life to get you to say uncle and exchange the truth for a lie. Let me give you a thing on how it's done. Let's just say for one reason, your child walks away from the faith or your spouse walks away from the faith. Maybe a spouse has an affair. Maybe you get your pink slip from work. Maybe you get a a, uh, letter from the doctor, a note that says, you know, you don't have much time left. You're rocked. What are you going to do? The devil wants you to lean on your emotions. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine who sponsored a couple in a church. I was probably two weeks ago. We had lunch and we were talking. He was saying, you know, I had this couple in my church that were, they had a camp. The church sponsored the camp. They did all these events there. They were a solid Bible-believing couple until, I said until, he says, yeah. He says their child professed to be, come out as a uh, gay person and they, uh, time went on, things began to set in. The Word of God no longer stood as its source and as a strength, but they began to affirm what the child's lifestyle was all about. Here's the thing. They're now being led by emotions and now they can no longer lead this child to Christ because they're not following Christ now anyway. How do you lead somebody back to where you're not? And these things are what the devil wants us to do. He will try anything. He, remember, he's not your friend. 1 Peter 5.8 says he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour us. And any way he can get, get in to get us to change from the truth, get us to leave this truth and be led by our emotions or led by something other than then what the Word of God says. He'll try that. And that's what's happening in Thessalonica. Okay? That's, those are the things. Let me, again, uh, look at verse 5. Because it's verse 5 in uh, Acts 17. He says, But the Jews who were not so persuaded became envious. See, not everybody's going to come to faith. And they took some of the evil men of the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But... When they did not find them, uh, did not find them, they dragged uh, Jason and some brothers of the rulers of the city, crying out, "These who have turned the world upside down." I think they turned the world right side up, but they have turned the world upside down. Have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are, are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, "There is another king, Jesus." See, Thessalonica was a free city at the time. They were uh, meant that they were sovereign all the local affairs, but it wasn't uh, subject to the administration of, of many matters. Listen, it was the rulers of the religious world, at least in Thessalonica, who started this uproar against the truth. That's what happens. The crime, they said, is that saying that there is another king, one Jesus. The world today is saying that there's another way. Obvious, right? Because they want to take Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, that's not essential for life. Well, it is for eternal life. It is to have your sins forgiven. 
But the world wants to say you can live and be happy and just live your life the way you want. But they never talk about eternity. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ comes on the scene and people want, well, I don't believe that. No, you believe it, but you just don't want to receive it because your flesh, you want to satisfy your flesh. And what's happening here is you see that there were many people that were troubling the crowds. And they have this thing about Jesus, another king. This word another in the Greek, it means another of a different kind. They were saying there was a king unlike Caesar. But listen, when Jesus would say, use the word another, it was alos in the Greek. And it means one of the same. When he said, I, I pray to comfort you, I'll send you another comforter. He's that Another is alos in the Greek. And it means one of the same. But they're, they're, they're using a different word here in the Greek. They're saying another is one of, there's another one of a kind. No, no, there's only one kind. That's Jesus, one king. That's King Jesus. And this is what caused the uproar in the city. See, there's a division with Christ. People coming to faith in Christ. The question we have to ask ourselves today is, where will we stand? Where are we going to stand when there's faith in Christ? And if people were to, if they saw you standing, I'm just kind of hypothetically thinking, but if they saw you standing with the church and they walk by you and they're from your workplace, what would they say? They're a Christian? Really? Trip. You know? What would they say? <clears throat> and in Acts 17 verse 7, listen, it says, And Jason had harbored them, and these are all con uh, acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. Verse 8 says, And they troubled the crowds and the rulers of the city when they had heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. <clears throat> and the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Two thoughts here. Listen, one... We could see how bad the city wanted to get rid of Paul and Silas. The people are getting, they have to, they have to by night, let's, let's kind of let these guys go. We got to get rid of these guys, they're going to kill them. So the city wanted to destroy the leaders, no doubt about it. But what does it do for the people that are there, especially the young Christians in Thessalonica? What would you do? What would you do in a church if persecution hits, the leader is taken away, what, what are you going to do? You still have a leader, it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Don't ever forget that. But we still have this thing to where, here in Thessalonica, they have this thing to where, what am I going to do? I mean, they, they, the religious leaders, the pagan leaders, and all the people, many of the people of the city want to come against the church, want to come against the truth. So what is my, my stance? What is your stance? Are we going to let them? You know, how are we going to, because there's still a church there. There's still believers there. They, they got Paul and Silas out of the way. They, you know, let's get rid of these guys. They, they're going to kill them. But what about you? Do you think because you're not going to stand up for the truth or they don't want to have anything to do with you? Understand this. These people in the city, they possibly, more than likely, couldn't leave the city. They were there because, you know, their family was there. They worked there. Everything revolved around their life there. But now they're standing up for Christ. And the persecution sets in. How does that change their life? How does it change your life? And this is where we pick it up at 1 Thessalonians. This is the state of the city, if you will. Paul had founded this church on his second missionary trip in 51 AD. Now listen, 51 AD, and it's believed that he's writing this letter, some believe a year later. A year later, while he's shortly after arriving at Corinth, and he's writing this letter to them. So it's not a long time. It's not a long time from when Paul and Silas were let go out of the city 
to a time to where now he's writing this letter to them. And you think about things that come into our lives. You think about 9-11. That was 18 years ago. But it's still as fresh in our minds. These guys were a year ago. A year or so ago that this uproar had caused, uh, you know, this thing in the church. So look at 1 Thessalonians. Just to, to remind you, we'll be here uh, shortly in verse 6. So he says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in affliction. So he writes this letter because they've been in affliction. He knows that they've been, things haven't been easy on the church. And so he's writing this letter and saying, you know, in a sense, look up. If you're looking out for hope, look up. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a typical Greco-Roman culture letter. This is typical. Listen, who wrote it? Paul. Who was it written to? The church of Thessalonica, an infant church. And the greeting, grace and peace. We talk about this every time, right? You can't have, every time we open a letter, you see Paul writes, grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. You can't receive the peace of God unless you first receive the grace of God. But the interesting thing here is this is the first time in all his letters the church is hearing this. Their first time that they're, they're hearing this, grace and peace. Wow. Grace and peace? Oh, yeah, yeah. Grace of God will bring you the peace of God. And the first time they're hearing this. So, the, the true peace can only come once the grace of God is received in our lives. And don't ever try and, you know, people will look the world over to try and find peace. They'll try and find peace. But listen, if you're trying to find peace and you think you've found it, if its maker isn't God and its source isn't the person of Jesus Christ, then that peace is going to be temporal. And it's going to be short-lived. It's not going to have a lasting role. Grace, first receive the grace of God. And then you'll have peace in your life with God. And you'll have peace in your life. Verse 2, he says this. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. You see, this really shows their relationship to one another. The persecuted church had this great relationship with Paul. And persecution wasn't going to turn them aside from not being with Paul. You notice that? Hard times, difficult times. They weren't saying, I'm getting rid of that guy. He makes my life difficult. Some of you guys know you've been hanging out with me long enough. You've been in the ministry. I'll tell it like it is, in grace and love. But it still doesn't, it doesn't have many recipients. And they'll know that it's difficult sometimes working with Pastor Al. He gets in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, just the love, the grace is mistaken. But a lot of people today, you think of what would happen if tragedy struck here? What would happen if persecution struck within these four walls? The, a lot of people today will kind of peace out. They'll, they'll go and look for where the grass is greener or where it might be a little quieter and people aren't into this, into this battle. There, there's battles going on. But listen, this church knew something. In Acts chapter 17, they knew something that was monumental for their lives. They knew something and they received something. What was it? It was salvation. They received the gift of God through salvation through Jesus Christ. So they're coming to faith in Christ. And in their life, since Paul left, the, even if it's a short time, there was a lot of fruit being brought forth. They, they were living their life for Christ. So it was so encouraging to hear from them, as Paul would say, that, you know, he goes, we remember without ceasing. I remember. It's like it was yesterday that I was with you guys and you received not only the grace of God, 
you walked with God, but then you also had this time to where you walked away, as he said in verse 9, he says, how you turn from or turn to God from the idols. That's what we did. We turned from all the idols in our lives, whatever they were, whatever it was, we turned to God. And now we serve him. And people take notice of that. Well, here, uh, again, you know, they have that relationship with Paul. They knew it. And he, he, he came into this pagan city and he, and he proclaimed the gospel. And we're getting saved. There's no greater gift for mankind than to be saved. What's happening in the world today? We need peace, but we have to receive God's grace first before peace will ever come. <clears throat> so listen, in the midst of this persecution, kind of a lengthy opening here to get to this, but in the midst of all the per persecution that came upon the city, the uproars, Paul commended this young church in three areas, and we're going to look at those. In verse 3 he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. This speaks of an act of faith. This speaks of that they were trusting and following the direction of the Lord. Listen, I'm just going to follow the Lord. It says that remembering and without ceasing your labor of love. This is a love that would love even though they didn't feel like loving. And patience of hope. They were resting on the promises of God. In the Lord, Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father, knowing beloved brethren, your election of God. So number one, he says, you know what? Your, your work of faith, that's incredible. <clears throat> he writes to this young church that's in the midst of the battles and they're not fleeing, they're not running, they're staying there. And they're going to have faith that God is going to work everything out. And it's evident. Because especially in persecution, it's evident that the object of your faith is going to be seen. It's going to be tested, nonetheless seen. But we're going to see men and women, if you've gone through a hard time, just ask your friends or ask those who are close to you, you know, when I went through that hard time, how did I do? And they'll be, if they're honest, they'll tell you, well, you kind of tripped out a little bit, but you made it through and now you're growing and that's all right. You're growing in the Lord. But when people honestly trust Christ, then that faith of theirs will be shown by its work. It's this active faith. When you're really trusting in God, when you know that He is the Alpha and the Omega, when He's the beginning and the end, when you know, you know, even if you have other places to go, like a bank account or a credit card to get you out of a job, whatever, but no, 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 you're just setting it all aside is trust in the Lord, trust in the living God. You see, when, when somebody will trust in the Lord, then that faith, as I mentioned, it has this, uh, faith will be shown by its works. Somebody once said, Works will not save anyone from the depth of hell, but faith that does not lead to works is not saving faith. Active faith. Not just coming up and praying and receiving Christ or wherever you were, but it's living that life out. It's being active in that faith. That my faith is, I'm constantly trusting the Lord, continuously trusting in the Lord. I, I am vested. I mean, it's God. I'm not going anywhere. And there are many who may attend church, but something happens when persecution comes, when troubled times come. You know, where are they? Instead of leaning on the Lord with the whole weight of their problem, a lot of times they'll take things into their own hands and they'll let, allow that thing. And after time, it begins to crush them. And then all of a sudden, you see that the works of the flesh, as we know, they're evident to all. Not just yourself, because you'll never make it through it. But then there are also the works of the flesh are evident to all those around you. And in every one and every day of our life when trials hit, 
especially the difficulties, our faith is what keeps us going. Ever notice that? I trust God. I don't know where I'm going. I mean, again, when we came up here as young Christians, uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> you know, uh, so no internet to find out where the church was. I had a sheet of paper. Where are we going? We're going to go to church. Where are we going? I tried, a little confession here. It'll be uh, 1990, so you do the math. It's September 29, 1990. My daughter and I were going to get away. Elaine had a, we were going, she was going to another, well, we were going to the same church, but she was finishing up a ministry there. And I took Deborah for her birthday. I said, let's go fishing. And uh, I was going to go fishing on a Sunday. Well, I said, well, we'll go look for that church. And just so happened that we found a church I wasn't really looking for. And we stayed at that church for many years because that's where God wanted us. So God would even, in the midst of my, let's go, let's go uh, to church, wink, wink, or fishing, you know, he'd catch us there. But it didn't matter what was going on. Many will attend church, but when persecution hurts, hits, hits home, what are you going to do? And our faith has got to grow. Our faith is going to be the very thing that holds us together. You know, we know that in times of trial, faith doesn't come naturally. And then there's an old school that we used to do. Many of us, maybe not all of us, used to, and when you come home from work, what do you do? You take an edge off. You put a little, little tumbler, a couple pieces of ice, crack, and you, got, and you hang out with, uh, try and gain some Southern comfort with Mr. Cuervo. Or you try and, you know, today, what are they doing? Because it's legal. It's like, why well, is he taking an edge off? It makes me feel better. So I just hang out with Mr. Zigzag every now and again, you know, and we have a little, little, little puff time together. You're born again. You're born again. And, and, and God has that ability to get, take the edge off. He has the ability to grow you in your faith. And instead of trusting in the Lord, many even today are running to that. And in this time, Paul is commending them. Man, your faith is strong. And so to increase that faith, you say, well, I don't have that kind of faith. What, is it easier to run to the zigzag machine than it is the Bible? Listen, Jesus Christ will give you what you need, but our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to increase our faith. We've got to go to the, the gym of God's word and, and, and you know, have it pull us through us at, at, at times, every time. What's interesting too is that you know, we have words, you know, I, I tell you, when we study our faith, if you have faith, if you're like me, I, I, have, I can have faith in my savings account. If I have faith in my savings account, I don't need to go to God in prayer. I'll go, just go to my savings account. Well, listen, if I studied my savings account, if I brought out all the pie charts and all the profit and loss in my savings account and all the debt to ratio or income ratio in my savings account and built all these colorful slides and all that, it wouldn't matter how long or how hard or how often I studied my savings account, my $5 would only get me so far. All right? That's as far as it's going to take me. What do you got? I got five bucks. No matter which way you look at it. That's only going to take me so far. But in our faith in the Lord, you might say, well, I don't have a lot of faith. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I don't make enough to put it, you know, I don't have enough to put away but I have God's word to increase my faith that he'll take care of everything. So when troubled times hit, we need to go to God's word. And Paul commended these people. There might be persecution around you, but he says, man, I commend you for your faith. Second thing is he says your labor of love. Now, I'm sure that every one of us will understand that love doesn't come naturally. Especially when we're commanded to love our enemies or commanded to love those who hurt us, Right? But Paul remembered their labor of love or their toil. It means they toiled for it. It means that 
this labor of their love brought forth pain. You know what? It was a love that hurt. Not hurt. Love that had hurt because it didn't want to love. But it had to love. It was commanded to love. And, and that's what he's talking about. To be honest, um, faith, or excuse me, love, um, we don't always feel like loving all the time, do we? Right? And we don't want to love those who may seem unlovable until we look in the mirror. <laughs> Wait a second. God loves me and I'm unlovable. But keep in mind that our salvation was birthed from love. God's love for us. And we didn't deserve his love, but he gave us, he, he, he loved us. While we were still sinners, the Bible tells us that he loved us. And, and your love is evidence of your salvation. It testifies that you belong to Jesus. This church was loving in the midst of persecution. And, and I'd say that they were setting their emotions aside and allowing the love to flow. I don't want to do this, but I'm commanded to do this because it's what God loves me. And I've got to love others the way he loves me. And Jesus said, by this, by what? By love, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, there was a testimony that though they weren't perfect, they loved one another. And though they rooted for different teams, they still loved one another. And though they were, some were charismatic and some weren't, they just loved one another. You know, some were young in the faith. Some were, you know, they just loved one another. 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter writes this, he says, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. See, Satan is always trying to get us to limit our love for those whom we should be loving endlessly. It doesn't matter, well, you, did you hear what those people did? No, I don't see that in the Bible. I said love. Well, you don't want to believe the way they hurt me. Yeah, but love says uh, they keep no records wrong. Well, I don't know, you know, and you get into this thing to where the devil wants us to live in contrast to God's love. He wants us to keep records of wrong. He wants us to be puff, puffed up. He wants us to do all these things when we're commanded to love. Just to love one another. And love. And, and Satan knows that it goes against the grain of Scripture. So if he can get God's church to live outside of the, the realm of, that God has for them, what's the greatest gift? Love. And, and if we won't hunger, desire for that, or Lord, help me to love these people. We don't, you know, that's a great, I get the, what can I give? I can give them a sock across the eye. Well, that's not a great gift. But love is. And loving them the way you want to love them or the way that you should be, be loving them is, is incredible. So Paul commends his church and he says, you got to love them. You, you love them. And remember, these people, once friends, are no longer associating with them because they've walked for Christ. They made a decision to walk with Jesus. Remember that song that we used to sing? Still do occasionally. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. It takes a commitment. It takes a commitment to say, I want Jesus. You know, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to love them. Because if I don't stay on this path and love them, then I'm not loving them very well. If I don't love God and follow God, I'm not loving these people very well. Because they're never going to see what true love is. Outside of the church of Christ and the love of God that he has for us. And then he says, patience of hope. This is incredible. And we can hope for a lot of things to come to pass, right? We can hope that the Mariners might win 50 games this year. <laughs> we can hope for the right president to be elected. Or we can hope for Hurricane Dorian to turn away from causing more damage. We can hope for gas prices or interest rates to drop. We can hope for a lot of things. But if our eyes are not fixed on the Lord, our hope is, and our hope is not heaven, then our eggs are in the wrong basket. He says you have patience and hope. In the midst of everything that's going on around you, he says you're, you're, you're patiently waiting for the hope. 
Look at verse 3 again. He says, because he's pointing out the source of our hope, he says, remembering without ceasing your work of your work of faith, labor of love, patience of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our, uh, in sight of our God and Father. Our faith needs to be in the Lord. And our love needs to be that of the Lord. And we can't love others if we're not loving the Lord the way we should. And our hope needs to be in Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to make the change in the lives of others. That's where we come out for prayer. God, I can't do this. Some of you have family members that aren't walking with Jesus, but what are you going to do? Well, I pray. Let's get together and pray. Let's see the power of prayer going up. Let's, let's just honor the Lord and come together and just work out this thing of prayer together. And he says, listen, Jesus, uh, our hope needs to be in Jesus. It was for salvation. And then we begin to bank on his promises. And he's given us this promise that I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mentions, but not so I would have told you. So the promise is when, when no matter what goes on in this earth, no matter when you can't see things working out and everybody is, you know, getting bigger and better as far as the world is concerned, you and I are thinking, how can we get by? Because we got heaven. Remember, I've said this before, but this world for the unsaved, if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this world is the best it ever gets. It is. And so the Christian, you look at it, and you've got to remember something, that this world is not the best we ever get. We have heaven. We have heaven waiting. And that's the promise of God. And so we go through these things on earth. We go through the persecution, the times of trouble, because we literally have heaven. Listen, Church, don't give up in times of trials. This young church, this infant church, walked it out. And, and l- listen, don't give up. Jesus is coming. You've got to have confidence in that. I don't know how much. I'm not saying don't put away for tomorrow. Put away for tomorrow. Let somebody else need it because they're going to need it going through the tribulation. But, but listen, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church right after talking about the previous, the previous verses. He's talking about the resurrected Christ. He says, therefore, Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the, in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, be immovable. Why? Because Jesus is risen. And just as he has risen, we're going to rise with him one day. We're going to be out of here. I'm so grateful for that. There's not going to be any bitterness. Or no, there's not going to be any hatred in heaven. Verse 4, and we'll close with this. He says, knowing, or don't ever forget, have confidence, beloved brethren, your election by God. You and I who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we can look at this and we can see that he has been the necessary payment. He paid the payment for our sins. We're blood washed. We should never forget what he's done for us. But understanding that he's done for us and and what he's allowing us to focus on now, he's saying, you know what? Understand this, that how much he still loves us. Listen, the Thessalonians, the proof of their love, uh, God's love for the Thessalonians, was that his choice of them unto salvation, he chose them. Do you understand this? God chose you, but do you understand this? That there is a huge responsibility. Choosing, chosen means election. And there's a huge responsibility that the Bible makes it very clear that God holds each individual personally responsible for their decision. I can ask my wife to marry her all day long. She says, uh-uh. Ain't gonna happen. I can be sincere. I can ride on a stallion. And I can say, honey, would you, you... What are you calling me honey for? You know, you go to your girl or guy, girl, you go to your guy. You, I, I, it has to be reciprocal. It has to say, I want that. And that's what Jesus said. I've elected you to be my bride. 
And I bought, purchased the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And, and then the neat thing about it is it doesn't matter what we've done in this world, the grace of God is greater. And then he says, you know what? Though you messed up, I have the answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. He's the answer. <clears throat> How would you like to see your friends that aren't saved, saved? He has the power. And so the Thessalonians were responding to the gospel and it proved that God loved them and he cared for them. They were responding to it. You know, a lot of people feel like, well, I don't think God loves me because he hasn't chosen me, he hasn't changed me. No, no, no. You got to raise your hand to the change. You got to open your heart to the change and let him change you. You've got to say, I surrender. I give it all to you, Lord, and watch him do what he does. Listen. If your faith or your love or your strength in the Lord, even in the midst of the deepest persecution, uh, is in the Lord, I should say, even in the midst of your deepest persecution, you're, you, you're going to come out victorious. Paul commended this church because they were steadfast in the persecution. Their faith, their hope, and their strength was grounded in Jesus Christ. The devil felt that fear, if he can get fear in them, I could possibly get them to lean on their own understandings. But they were trusting in the Lord. See, they lived in a world. They tasted what the world had to offer. They drank from the well of the world. But when they came to the truth, there was nothing greater. Remember that? I mean, I can't believe it. You mean I've tasted the things from the world. I understand the things of the world. But when I came to faith in Christ, <laughs> I still joke about this with my brother. We were in L.A., Anaheim, California. We had to drive 100 miles back to San Diego. The day I got saved, it was late at night after the conference. I gave my life to Christ. I wouldn't shut up the whole way. Some of you are saying you won't shut up now. It's because it's Jesus. I can't help it. And all the way home, I'm telling my brother about this Jesus whom he already knew. But I just want to make sure he knows the same Jesus I know. You know? But that's what it's all about. When God gets a hold of people's lives, they come together and they form this body. And that would, no, no matter what's brought against them, they're not going to fear because this world is not their home. They're looking in the future, they're looking to say, you know what, no matter how bad it gets here, I have heaven. Praise the Lord, I have heaven. And so we looked at this early church, we looked at their steadfastness, and may it encourage us to move onward and upward in our lives with Jesus. And as God has chosen us, he's done so to also let us know that no matter how difficult things are, that he's got this. I've given you a promise. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will take you home one day. And so he's given us a hope that outlasts, outlives, outloves everything on earth. A hope eternal in the heavens. May that be a huge part of our lives. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, first and foremost, listen, don't think about what you're going to do, how you're going to go and tell somebody. It comes by faith. You've got to trust God by faith. That means you don't know what tomorrow brings, though you know you belong to Him today. As we close off service, the worship team comes back up here. Um, we are going to have uh, men up here, our, our elders. Some of their wives will be up here, and they want to pray with you. And even if you're losing hope, you feel like you're losing hope, you feel like, well, there's, these things aren't, I've been persecuted, and I just need prayer, whatever it is. These people are up here for anything to pray for you. Pray for your health. Pray for whatever it might be. They'll be up here to pray for you. But most of all, grace and peace. God's grace wants to be poured out in your life. Have your sin forgiven and obtain peace with God.
and then we'll continue that life with Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you would take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. And while you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.